Our scripture this morning is from John chapter 6. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning, Christ Central. My name is Josh Kim. I'm one of the assistant pastors here at Christ Central Church. And um, Happy New Year. Glad to be here, uh, being able to share God's word with you this morning. And if you're joining us for the first time or you're visiting us as a result of a New Year's resolution, we're glad you're here. Um, please do stop by our Welcome Central table and talk to one of us about the journey we are all on in um, learning more about who God is and learning more about his love for us. Um, as we begin this morning, I hope all of you had a great week of celebrating the New Year's. Um, now, what is the one thing that we all do when the New Year's roll around? Um, we talked about it a little bit uh, up here as well, and Amy shared a little bit as well, but we noticed that when the New Year's roll around, our gyms are a little bit more fuller as more people decide they're going to care more about their health this year. We find out that the list of books that we want to read are much longer, and once again, we see the Instagram post of the books that are piled this high. We often read one or even less than one of them. Um, some, some of us may say we want to be a little bit nicer to our spouses or do some date nights and set up all those things. Whatever it may be, or sometimes we see the attendance in the church increase in January because we're all trying to make commitment to come to church. Perhaps you started a Bible reading program and failed already on day five. But whatever it may be, we all make some kind of resolutions or goals or visions, whatever it may be. A recent survey showed us that full 40% of all of Americans make some kind of resolution, meaning one out of perhaps every two of you, almost like every other person makes some kind of resolutions for the new year. And a lot of times, those resolutions often center around weight loss, financial planning, or weight gain, or muscle mass gain, whatever it may be or oftentimes personal self-growth or career choices, where some of us turn around and say, this year I'm gonna be a little bit different, a better person, whatever it may be, and we try to make all resolutions based upon those things. Um, and are resolutions helpful? I think so. And there are some debates now whether as Christians we should make resolutions or not. Some theologians say we have to make goals or resolutions every day of our lives, right? Uh, and I'm not trying to make a theological argument here, 
but a psychological research journal article. It's a long title. It says, put your imperfections behind you, temporal landmarks for a goal initiation when they signal a new beginning. It's a long title. You don't have to remember that. Basically, people that are smarter than me argue that naturally, we struggle to muster motivation needed to initiate, initiate new goal, pursuit. But when new beginning is signaled to our brain, it spurs on our desire and motivation to change. There's a biological way that helps us to make resolutions or goals, whatever you want to call it, to help us to change. So I don't want to make too much of the research here, but I think what is clear is it's not only natural for us as seasons come and seasons go, but also physically, perhaps, it helps us to think about making resolutions. But I would also like to believe that it also helps us spiritually to make some commitments as you think about the new year that is coming up or is already here. That means, as we talked about again and again um, throughout this morning, that perhaps it is fitting for all of us here as we sit down this morning, as you think about the new year, to make some kind of commitment to be closer to our God this year. Maybe it is a fitting for all of us in our relationship with Christ to say, this year, I'm going to love God or learn what it means to love God a little bit more this year. Maybe it is fitting for all of us to say we're going to be in relationship with the Lord, deeper in relationship with the Lord a little bit more this year, whether through reading of the Word, through prayer, through fellowship, whatever it may be, what I'm proposing is that as followers of Christ, we could all make resolutions, commitments to follow God a little bit more this year. After all, we see a lot of resolutions or commitments throughout the scripture, don't we not? One of the famous one is Job 31.1, where Job says, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look at lustfully at a girl, a commitment to fight lust in the heart. We even see God who makes vows to not end the human life with flood by giving the promise of the rainbow. And whether the difference between vows and resolutions may be, and I'm trying to make it once again, not to talk about theological argument here, but I think it is very important for us to make some kind of commitments and resolutions. But as we talk about making resolutions and commitments, we also struggle to make them out of two fears. First fear is we struggle to make resolutions or commitments, and we struggle to make them because we don't know what to make of them or how to go about it. But perhaps the bigger fear that we have is the fear of failure. We don't want to make any commitments or resolutions because we feel like we're never going to meet up to that expectation. We start the Bible reading program, but you and I know in day two or three, we may fall back. We start that gym membership, make the big commitment, but after about two weeks or so, you know that money goes to waste. So we all fear failures even before we start making commitments. And as goes, there's a saying that says, there's nothing new under the sun. I believe those who went before us in relationship with God also struggled with the same fear of failures and also failed along the way. So what I want us to do this morning as we look at the John chapter 6, a famous declaration of faith by Apostle Peter. In many ways, it sounds like a resolution to me, 
when he says, to whom shall I go? For you have the words of eternal life. And he makes a commitment to follow after him, despite many of the disciples at this point turning away, walking away. And we're going to do a topical study looking at Peter's life based upon this resolution to see how he was able or not able to keep this resolution and learn lessons from that. And in order to do that, I'm going to borrow an outline from Dr. Catherine Milkman. She's a behavioral economics expert at University of Pennsylvania. Once again, I don't know what that is all about, but I just know that she's pretty smart. And she wrote an article in Washington Post called How to Make and Also Keep Your New Year's Resolution. And she gives us three guidelines that really helps us as we think about this. First thing Dr. Milkman says in order for us to success successfully make resolutions and keep them is you start with a bang. You start with a bang. Basically saying you start big when you think about making a resolution. And she cites a study done by two University of Chicago economics professors about participation in exercise habits. In this study, a group of 120 students participated in an experiment about exercise habits. The group was split into three, and each group was assigned differing behavioral incentives about exercise. The first group was told to just attend the information session. The second group was to track their attendance once a month. And the final group was tasked to attend the gym at least eight times next month. Do you know who was the most successful out of the three groups? The final group. Final group who was told to attend the gym at least eight times actually continued on and kept up with the exercise even after the experiment. So based on that finding, Dr. Milkman argues that when you make a resolution or when you want to kick back or kickstart a lasting life change, you got to start with a bang. You got to start with a big commitment. And what better start than does Peter have here? Apostle Peter that we all know that speaks before he acts. Peter does one of the most amazing testimony, amazing commitments ever recorded. The text we read today outlines Peter's strong resolution. He definitely starts out with a bang. It says in verse 68 that we read today, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. What amazing testimony at that. It is a statement that says, Christ, my all in all, I can't help but to go anywhere but to follow you. This amazing statement also comes on the heels of one of the most difficult teachings Christ gives. The context of chapter 6 that we read today in Peter's resolution comes after Christ teaches his followers that he is the bread of life after feeding of the 5,000. He speaks of not only the importance of eating the bread of life as a metaphor to speak of abiding in him, having him, having this living relationship with Christ and orienting all of your life with God at the center. All of your life, rather than just coming to Christ for getting the bread or meeting your ends meet, whatever it may be. Meaning following Christ is nothing like a genie in a bottle to getting whatever you want. Rather, it is sacrificial, giving all of your life, and that's the teaching Christ is giving. 
And that's what we read in verse six, uh, 60. It says, when many of his disciples heard this teaching, they said, this is a hard teaching. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing himself, the disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. And verse 65 says, and he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. And many, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And Jesus poses this question to the 12. Do you want to go away as well? And in this pivotal moment, a turning point for disciples, Peter, the leader of the apostles, leads the charge and states that he will not go away, but to follow Christ to the end. If we end sermon today and say, this is what we ought to do, right? As a follower of Christ, we got to start with a bang. All of us, can we say as Christians, as followers of Christ, we should say this year, all of my life, every single aspect of my life, not only finances, family, friends, everything we do must be oriented to this. Is that what we're talking about here? Should we just pray and say, that's our resolution today? We'll see you at first week. Peter definitely starts with a bang here. A commitment, may I say, a resolution to follow Christ. He will follow Christ when no one else is. He will follow Christ even if he doesn't get what he wants. He will follow Christ when things get uncomfortable. He will follow Christ till the end. He's a Savior. He's the Lord. He's our God. Amen. And that's what he's called to do. And that's what we're called to do. And if this is your conviction, your resolution is that you will follow him this year with all of, all of your life. You will pursue after him with all of your life. And what bigger resolution can you make than that? In order for us to keep our resolution, it's absolutely true that we do not only say, only in 10% of my life I'll follow Christ, right? Only on maybe first two weeks of the Sunday I'll come to church. Only 10% of my life I'll give to the Lord. No! What Scripture is teaching us is we ought to start as we commit ourselves to follow Christ with a big commitment meaning all of my life, all of myself to follow Christ. But is that what it's all about? A behavior modification or just a mere commitment? Absolutely not, right? If we are focused on only our behavior modification as a resolution or doing more for Christ as a resolution, then we run into what we call a burnout. We'll fall back very easily. The focus of Peter's resolution is not only on a commitment of behavior modification, but rather his commitment to follow Christ is based upon a relationship with Christ. What he's saying is not only saying, I'm going to follow you with all my life only, but I'm going to go deeper in my relationship with you because you are my Savior and you are my God. Personally, God has made me in a way that I do not have a single romantic gene in my life. When I first started dating my wife, I realized God did a miracle. When I said, I like you, and for her to say, I like you too, it's like, wow, that's the first time I ever heard that. And it was like miraculous. A lot of my friends said, and now I believe God is real. <laughs> if God could do that for you, God could do anything for me. 
you are a testimony of God's grace in your life. And I realized, wow, God could change my life like this to bring me joy. But I realized God did not give me a romantic gene in my life. So when I first started dating my wife, I realized, well, I need to do something nice. Take her to, like, nice restaurants maybe. Or um, my wife is the type of person that loves new experiences. So I was, like, Googling. I was looking at Yelp and all that stuff, thinking, okay, I need to find these places where I'll take her. And you know, because I am not expert at this, I would look up all this restaurant. I would tell her, Lynn, let's go to these things, and we'll drive there, and it's closed. Right? <laughs> I'm like, all right. So, and we're like, yeah, okay, let's go here. This is a great place. Look at all these pictures. We'll go there, and uh, it, it doesn't open. It's been closed for a while. Out of business, or they close out, whatever it may be. And I remember first couple, like, month of us dating, I'm trying to find this place to go to, and we always end up in just a parking lot with the, the, the sign that says closed for business. And I'm wondering, I have failed you. Now, if you don't say I like you back, I get it. I failed again and again and again. And I was like really nervous, panicking and thinking, I have failed. I have failed. And she will never, never say I like you back to me again. It's over. But what she would do to me at that moment is turn to me and say, this is fine. Let's just talk. Let's just talk. I just want to spend some time with you more than just gain, having experience. The question is, did that stop me from finding new restaurants or new places to try for a little bit? But no. All the more because of her response today to me by saying, this is not merely an experience I want. It's a relationship I crave. All the more I craved and I sought out experiences, share experience. And even today, as I fail again and again, I try, I pursue, because it is about relationship and not, not a real, uh, behavior modification. Church, starting with the bang in the New Year's commitment to follow Christ, to walk with him, should never be focused on your behavior modification. If all you focus on is getting the check mark next to Bible reading plan, the check mark next to, I'm going to change my life for the better. If you only focus on outer appearances per se, you always fail and you always feel empty, even if it is to follow Christ. Well, we also find out a little bit more through Peter's life that his resolution is less about what kind of behaviors, what does he does. And we will see in Peter's resolution is not even about how much big promise he's even willing to make or he's able to make. It's not even about what he says or what he does that no other disciples even attempt to do so. But what we see is that through the resolution, the commitment that Peter makes, what God does in response to that is to deepen his relationship with him. And we see time and time again, God doesn't really need your time. Didn't really need Peter's time or didn't really need Peter's mistakes. God doesn't really need our time, your treasures, your talents at all. God also is not in the business of getting you to invest in his life. And all the more, he definitely does not need you to even save you. He doesn't even need you to cooperate to save you, right? But what he wants is he wants you. What he wants is he wants who you are, your life. And if you get to do is to respond to him, as he loves you, you can respond to him, to follow him, commit to him, to give, to sacrifice, to live for him. And that's the commitment. That's the resolution based on deepening the relationship, response to his love for us. And if that is the ultimate goal, your commitment 
whether to attend church, to read, to serve, to grow, whatever it may be, it will center on loving Christ more. Church, focus on the relationship and not on the behavior. That means it's not ultimately about whether you're keeping your resolutions perfectly. It is rather your growth and character that grows through them that matters. Because we will fail. And that's what Dr. Milkman says next. In order to make and keep the commitment, not only you start with the bang, what she suggests is that you take a mulligan or two. How do you balance setting a tough to attain goals and balance it with the fear of failure? What she suggests is actually prepare to fail a couple of times and be okay with it. In a study of ways earners, two marketing professors challenged the different groups of people with giving sets of 35 tedious tasks for seven straight days. And she found out that those who were given mulligans or two off days in completing the task of doing 35 tedious tasks for seven days straight, seven days straight were actually motivated to continue to do them. Knowing that you will fail motivated this group to continue in their commitment. So in conclusion, Dr. Milkman suggests that allowing yourself two off days in order to keep your commitment is a great start. And we all do that, don't we? If you go on a diet, you say, I'm going to have like off day on Sunday. This is my off day. This is my cheat day. I could do whatever I want. Or if you go for exercise, you would say, oh, I'm not going to go for two days a week. We all do that. And as you think about Peter's off days, speaking of the off days, how about Peter's commitment to follow Christ? Do you think he had an off day or two? Right? And should we, as you think about that, to take off days in our relationship with Christ? Well, in light of what we read today in Peter's resolution to follow Christ, and if you study through Peter's life, and it's so famous, you all know this as well, not only does Peter have two off days in his resolution to follow Christ, Peter has like gigantic failures along the way to the point where you wonder, is he even a Christian at all? It's like, is he even an apostle? Does he know who God is? Why does he say all this stuff? He doesn't even follow it. So because we know the entire story, as we read chapter 6, we think, okay, he's making some kind of really rash resolution here because in a couple of chapters later, he's going to disown Christ. But it doesn't make any sense. And that's what we see. Peter makes gigantic failures along the way. The first of such failures happens while Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane before he was led to be crucified. And Peter gets to be in this exclusive group to spend this last time with Christ. What a privilege to be able to do so. And not only so, the scripture teaches us that Jesus prayed out loud. So you get to hear the Son of God praying, right? What a great privilege this is. And guess what Peter does? Seizing the opportunity of a lifetime, he falls asleep, right? And Jesus says, what's wrong with you? He wakes him up. He goes to pray again. And guess what? Peter's like, oh, I failed, God. I got to do this again. And guess what he does? Falls asleep again and again and again. Not only so, when push comes to shove, he takes out a sword and cuts off someone's ear. I'm like, Peter, come on, man. What kind of resolution is that? You're not following Christ. You're doing exactly opposite as what he tells you to do. And Jesus had to clean that up. And not only so, Peter, at one point, says, hey, anyone could disown you, but I'm not going to because I'm better, right? I walked on water. They did it. I'm going to be the one that will follow to the end. 
and we get to Matthew chapter 26. And what does Peter do? He like curses himself to say, I don't know this guy. Leave me alone. Leave me alone. This is after he says, if all fall away, but I will never fall away from you. And that's not the end. It would be great if that's the only two mistakes he ever had, right? This great apostle Peter continues to fail in resolution to follow Christ in multiple manners, both before and even after the resurrection of Christ, as we've seen recorded in both Gospels and Book of Acts. And I'll venture to guess there are much more failures of Peter's life that are now recorded in the Scripture. So what's the point of all this? Take a mulligan or two, meaning be free in your resolution to follow Christ. Say you want to follow Christ, but you know you're going to fail along the way, so do whatever. Or should we say, not only take a couple of days off, hey, you're a fallen human being. Do whatever you want, right? Because you will fail. Is that what this is all about? Absolutely not. What this reminds us as you look at the failures of Peter is that if our focus is on relationship with the Lord, we will still grow despite our failures. And look at Peter's failures. Our fear of failures of making resolutions is often a result of not receiving or getting the desired results. We often fear that if we fail in our resolutions or commitments to follow Christ or do some things that we feel like we're not going to get anything that we want. And Peter surely failed. He doesn't perhaps even deserve a second chance here. But does Peter's failures in his life result in plan B for him or plan C or plan D? What if it was God who says, well, Peter... Remember chapter 6? You told me that it was hard teaching, but you have the words of eternal life. Remember that? I'm holding that grudge against you. Remember that long time ago you said you're going to give my all and all? And like what happened? You had a child, you had a house, you had that retirement account, and you don't about, care about me. Remember you made the commitment to follow after me all of your life, despite all the struggles of your life that come my way, come on May, and now the life gets a little bit more complicated, and you're like, oh, God, I don't really want to go to church today. I don't really want to send my kids to this. I don't want to sacrifice a little bit to this. Remember that one time you say, God is calling me to this, but you're saying, oh, maybe not anymore. And does God say, well, I'm going to keep you to your word. Because you failed, I'm going to punish you for that. Is that, is that what God does with us? Is that what God does with Peter? Absolutely not, right? In an interaction with Peter after Christ rises again from the dead, in John chapter 21, as Jesus makes breakfast by the fireside for Peter, and as he takes Peter on a walk, in the three different incidents, Jesus turns to Peter and asks him, Well, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Well, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Well, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter should be getting this by now, right? But he doesn't. He gets hurt. It's like, don't you know that I do? But what Jesus is doing through this interaction with Peter after the resurrection is restoring his love for him again and again and again after Peter denied him three times in three gigantic failures. And all the more what we see what God does with Peter is his plan for Peter does not change. John 21, 18, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, this is after he restores that relationship three times. 
When you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands, another will dress you and carry you wherever you do not want to go. This, he said, to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Simple words. Follow me. Just as the first time he called Peter, follow me. And the church history tells us that this Peter, despite his failures, who failed again and again and again, a number of, number of times we would never be able to imagine possible, who often spoke before thinking, he followed Christ. He kept his resolution to go after Christ until the end. And even was crucified upside down, as history tells us, because he felt he was unworthy to die in the same manner as his Savior. Church, once again, it's not about a behavior, isn't it? The focus is on whom you are following this year. As you and I learn what it means to follow God this year, what we do is not doing more for him. As we talked about before, he does not need more of you doing things for him. But the question is, what do we do as we follow him is learn more of his love for us and especially in our failures. And trust me, you and I will fail. Our church will fail. All of us will fail consistently again and again and again throughout this entire year. What we can learn in our failure is not to say, I can't do this anymore, and to walk away from him. I think a lot of times we do that. We make commitments to the Lord, and we fall into our failures. We say we can't do it, and we stop doing it. We stop trying it. And it really shows that it's all about you and what you're trying to do. What Christian failure is, follower of Christ's failure is, in our failures, what we do is we learn to fall into his grace a little bit more. If you really believe in the scripture when it says where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more, what more promise is there when you fall into his arms again and again and again as in our failures to love the Lord? Remember when I was in college, um, I used to share this with my pastors too. Um, our church used to have a prayer meeting, a Wednesday night prayer meeting that would last from 10, 10 p.m. to 3 a.m. Okay, I'm not going to say we should do that this year in our church. If you want to do that, please let me know. I will not be there, but you could be there. But it was a way for us to be trained to pray. And I remember going to this prayer meeting thinking, I'm going to go to every single one of those things. And I kid you not, I went there at 10 p.m., and I started praying, and I woke up at 2 a.m. and went home. And I was so depressed. The next day, I woke up, I'm like, Lord, why did I even go in the first place? I was so depressed about it. And I was just actually ruined my day, more so than like uplifting me. You're supposed to come out with prayer with the Lord, be pumped to love the Lord, but I was so depressed. I'm like, look at me. And I'll go the next Wednesday, I'm like, I'm going to pray. I stay up to 10.30, fall asleep, wake up at 2.30, and come back home. And again and again, and I'll do this. One time I talked to my pastor, I'm like, I will never go. It's not, there's no point anyway. Might as well sleep in my bed, right, enjoy my time. And uh, he jokingly said, isn't it better to sleep in the arms of our Father as you attempt to pray? And I'm not saying that was all that. I'm not saying I never fell asleep or saw that it was nice falling asleep in the arms of the Father. But what I saw in his wisdom for me was, despite my failures, what I learned was that he still loved me. 
And it is better to be in the arms of our Father who embraces my failure than on my own trying to make it. Church, Apostle Paul reminds us where sin increases, grace abounds all the more. As we wrestle to love him more, as we grow in our desire to grow and to know Christ more, to fight our addictions and sin that often entangles us, we learn what it means to fall into hands more, God's hands all the more this year. The final thing Dr. Milkman shares about strategies in making and keeping the commitments is not only start with the bang, not only for you to um, take a mulligan or two, but she says actually the most important thing is piggybacking and bundling. What she argues is that points to the benefit of what we call a piggybacking strategy is piggybacking involves linking something you like to start doing regularly, whether it's exercise, flossing, eating an apple a day, with something that you already do regularly, like brushing your teeth or drinking a morning coffee with an apple. So in one small study, people who attempted to kickstart a flossing habit were more successful when they were prompted to floss after brushing their teeth rather than vice versa. So what Dr. Milkman is saying is, in order to keep your commitment, you gotta piggyback whatever you want to do with whatever you're already doing or whatever you like to do already. And I think Dr. Milkman's strategy is very helpful. But when we look into the scripture, scripture already does that. It gives us the best piggybacking strategy of all time. In any commitment or any resolution that we make as followers of Christ, what we see is Christ provides the best piggybacking opportunity called the Holy Spirit. By the time we get to the gospel story in Peter, particularly in Acts 2, after the resurrection of Christ, Peter's resolution will be severely tested. Now, without a physical presence of his Savior, who walked with Peter, who covered his tracks, who made all things better, who lifted him out of the water when he was falling, now there's no one physically present to cover for him. Who is going to cover for Peter? And not only so, what Christ prophesies in John chapter 6 comes true. This is when verse 16 says, when many of the disciples heard it, they said, this is our teaching, who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself, that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see Son of Man ascending to where he was before? By the time we come to Acts chapter 1, that happens. The Son of Man ascends to where he was before. So what now? Can you follow Christ despite of this? If you thought it was hard enough with Christ physically walking on earth, how difficult would it be for Peter to follow Christ when he's not physically around to remind him, you messed up, but I still love you. Simon, son of John, do you still love me? It's like it's hard enough to pray when you're alone with other people, when we, with people at church. But how hard is it for you to pray at home? It's hard enough to praise the Lord and follow after him, surrounded by your fellow believers at the, high, at the mountaintops of the moments of your life, but how difficult would it be in this coming year to praise the Lord, to follow after the Lord in the valleys of the shadow of the death? It is hard enough to serve God being surrounded by others. How hard it is it to serve God when no one's watching and no one's keeping track? For Peter, and in our commitment to follow him, once again, it's never about us making them necessarily 
but it is God who helps us, who enables us to make them to follow after it. In Acts chapter 2, Peter and the rest of the apostles experienced what we call a Pentecost, the coming of the Spirit of the Lord. Acts chapter 2, verse 1, it says, When the day of the Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as the fire would appear to them, and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues, and the Spirit gave them utterance. And the Spirit of the Lord came on that day, filled Apostle Peter, and God uses Apostle Peter to speak to the thousands. And through this piggybacking of the Holy Spirit, instead of Peter using Holy Spirit, it's probably more right to say Holy Spirit taking Peter on his back, empowering Peter, not only was he empowered through his failures, he was used by God to bring many people to him. Not only was Peter in his personal commitment to follow Christ fulfilled as Spirit of God enabled him to follow after him, as Spirit of God piggybacks off of us, or we piggyback off of the Spirit of the Lord, Peter's resolution becomes communal. His commitment to follow after Christ now becomes communal where people are able to come to the Lord through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Church, this is the promise of the Lord. He who began a good work in you, he will carry it on to completion. He's not only the author of our faith, but also the perfecter of your faith. And as we've been hearing again and again and again through our Sonship series, He's not done with us yet. He knows us even before we cry, Abba, Father. He's present with us in our failures. He loves us. He loves us. He loves us. He's at work in us, and nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Despite our failures, our fears, through the valleys of the shadow of death, through our circumstances that often is out of our control, God is ever so present, wanting us to follow him again and again and again this coming year. As you think about what it means to follow Christ this upcoming year, he's already before you. He's already beside you. He's already behind you. And what we see is he's worth it all. As you experience his grace, will you place your absolute trust in him in response to him? It's not merely making resolutions and commitments saying, I'm going to do this for the Lord. It is saying, because of great love I have experienced as I think about who Christ has been for me. I'm all the more going to respond in loving the Lord. It's not about I am called to this per se. It's God has called me to this, and therefore I'll respond and follow him along with Peter saying, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of eternal life. You are the reason I can run. You are the reason I can be faithful. And you are the reason I will strive to love the Lord this year a little bit more. And the fruit of our life, will bear its fruit, not because of what I've done, but because of the impact of God's grace in my life. This past week, I was able to take my annual trip to Chicago to see my parents. Uh, it was cold. I found out there was like 70 degrees in Charlotte, North Carolina, and it was about 30 degrees when we got there. And we were wondering, why did we make this trip? <laughs> but it was great seeing my parents. And one of the joys that I have whenever I go back 
to visit my home is to visit my parents' church. This church is a church I attended when I first immigrated to the States. Um, it's elementary school, awkward as I can be, more awkward than now. Uh, it's a miracle that I'm still awkward, but less awkward than now. And I was unsure of myself, lost all my identity, and just didn't know what I was supposed to be doing, didn't know who I was. And I remember going to this church, sitting all the way in the back, not saying all the way people in the back, you're struggling with identity, but I would always sit in the back <laughs> and wondering, like, I want to, I wanna, like, hide, right? No one talked to me. I just want to hide. I want to go back and go back to my own home because I don't know. I can't speak the language that you speak. I don't know what kind of songs you're singing. I don't know anything about this. I just want to hide. And this pastor who just was out of seminary, brand new pastor, uh, spoke to me in a broken Korean saying, welcome. And he would invite me. He would have a special interest in my life. And every week, he would, I would come, he would translate or try to speak this in broken Korean to me of what he was trying to teach his elementary school students. The pastor is still there. Um, he now leads um, the adult ministry there. He's been there for 25 years, about 30 years now, I think. And every time I go back home, I have a privilege of walking into the church and seeing this gray-haired man now, my young elementary school pastor, faithfully ministering to his congregation. And every time I go up to him and shake his hand and say, thank you for loving me, thank you for speaking the truth in my life, he would always say, you are the only fruit that I have. <laughs> I don't know what I did. I'm so thankful that you still come back and say thank you, you know? <laughs> but you know what, he's just being humble. Throughout his ministry, I could name countless many who are impacted, who are still impacted through his story, through his ministry, through his sacrifice, and through his commitment, through his resolution to follow Christ every day, to serve and to love the lost. Perhaps just one person at a time was his commitment coming right out of seminary. It may not have been the most glorious, most life-impacting, most outlandish, city-changing, the, the world-changing commitment that he probably made. He probably made, I feel bad for that guy. I'm going to say hi. Perhaps a single, simple commitment to love the lost. But it definitely made an impact in my life. Yesterday, we were at men's retreat, and one of the greatest moment that we had was we had a couple guys that shared their testimonies. And man, as I was sitting there, my heart was going out, not only for the people that were there, but many that were not there. And I was thinking, man, you needed that. I needed that. Because your commitment to follow Christ, that resonated. As Pastor Omari said, you may not know who you have impacted. Your personal commitment, your story, resonates. Why? It's not because you have such a great story. Why? Not because you are so faithfully following Christ. As we have heard, many failed again and again and again. It resonated, it impacted, and it continues to change our church today because you are piggybacking off of the Spirit of the Lord working through you to impact this church. Your growth, your commitment is never 
about you and you alone, but it will impact the people of God you're called to love. Dr. Milkman starts her article by saying this, old habits die hard, and that's particularly true of bad habits. You know what's more difficult to get rid of? Sin and failures. And scripture warns us, sin easily entangles us as roaring lions. Satan is ready to devour you. And he is this coming year as well. And your addiction and sin, they're just right outside the corner. But this is what Christ promises for us. If you're in Christ, you are a new creation. Old has gone, the new is here. We make commitments and resolutions because in Christ, you are a new creation. He is ever so with us. He's a strength that you need. It's not about whether you make or you keep or what we do, but whom you are growing with and loving each and every day. And it is ultimately in him who will change you inside out to love him more, to draw out that confession of Yes, Lord, you know I love you. To whom shall I go? You have the words of eternal life. And if you have the relationship with Christ, why don't you make some commitments to follow him this year? If you do not have the relationship with Christ this morning, perhaps, just perhaps, this is an invitation from Christ. Come. Why won't you see who Christ is? Pray with me. As you close your eyes, I'm going to practice a little bit of what I learned yesterday at men's retreat as Pastor Omari really taught us what it means to meditate and think about who Christ is. Normally, we don't do this at our church, but as we prepare for um, the Lord's Supper, may I give you about two or three minutes of silent meditation uh, before I pray, as you close your eyes, as you think about this upcoming year, let's make some commitments to the Lord, saying, God, you know me. You know things that I went through this past year. You know struggles that I'm going through. You know all that. Lord, as I think about what you have done for me, this is what I want to do in response to that. Whether it is I want to love you more, a little bit more, by spending a little bit more time with you. Perhaps it is saying, like, I want to reach out to that person. Perhaps it is to serve, to give, to sacrifice, to connect, to let go to learn, to hear, whatever it may be. Can we make some commitments to the Lord? Not in the fear of failure, but anticipation of the glory of the Lord that will work in your life and the impact that you can make with the people that God has called you to love. Not because of you, but what the Spirit of the Lord will do through you as he empowers you. Let's do that, shall we? Would you close your eyes? Make some commitments to the Lord. Father, and that's our commitment. As you think about the work of the Lord, what you have done in our life, and as you think about the cross and your commitment to us to the point of your son dying on the cross, as you think about all that we experienced this past year and all the struggles that we had, all the failures, as we look forward to this upcoming year, as we face our fears, 
Perhaps even the struggles of our 2019 is still haunting us and following us to this day. But despite all that, we look forward to this upcoming year and we once again come at the foot of the cross and make these commitments to follow you a little bit more this year. Not because of what we can do more, but because of the spirit of the Lord that enables us and that is at work in us to love the Lord. So we pray, Lord, all these commitments as a church we make. Lord, ultimately, we want to love you a little bit more. We want to learn what it means to love others a little bit more. We want to learn what it means to have the heart of Christ a little bit more. We want to learn what it means to fall at the foot of the cross a little bit more. We want to learn what it means to look up and look the hope that you have given us a little bit more. We want to learn what it means to sacrifice a little bit more. We want to ultimately learn what it means to follow with the cross on our back a little bit more as we anticipate the coming of Christ. Strengthen your people, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.